Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. Are getting into our lesson from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And last week in chapter 3, Paul showed us how we can easily be motivated by our flesh. But when we allow Christ to reign in our lives, we are now motivated by his foundation that he provides for us. And he also convicts us to build upon his foundation and then challenges us to honor his temple, which is found within each of us as believers by the beautiful power of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 4 takes us even deeper this time as we discuss God's judgment and that He alone is the only one who validates us. So I have this lesson into our two divisions. The first division is Jesus has the only valid judgment, and that's verses 1 through 13. And then our second division is we are validated by the Father only verses 14 through 21. So as this chapter begins, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, you should think of us as Christ's servants who have been put in charge of God's secret truths. The one thing required of such servants is that they be faithful to their master. And so once again, Paul is stressing that any leaders for Christ or the church, that we are to be servants for him. And here he uses the word in Greek called hyperates, which is describing a subordinate servant function, meaning a free man who's choosing to do something for another person. But the more common New Testament word for servant was a doulos, which meant a slave. So clearly, Paul is telling the church here that he himself has been put in charge with this message and about the deity of Christ, but he has not assumed anything that he is above Christ. Paul was always very careful and wanted it known that he was under the authority of Christ. And he goes on into verse two to impress upon all of us. The one thing required to do for all of us is to be faithful. And so to be put in charge over anything requires knowledge, leadership, and above all, to be faithful to the mission. Verse 3, now I am not all concerned about being judged by you or by any human standard. I don't even pass judgment on myself. So here Paul is reminding us that being judged by people should mean nothing in our lives. And then he really lists out three different types of judgment right here in verse 3. The first one he points out is judgment by other people. And we know as human beings, we're always judging one another. But as believers, we must never hold the judgment of others over how we are being judged by God. The second type was judgment set forth by humans, meaning rules, guidelines. The standards set forth by men are never going to supersede what God's word defines as 
his guidelines and his rules for us. And then the third type he points to is personal judgment. And unfortunately, people are way too hard on themselves and often much more harsh than what others put on themselves. We must remember that we are created by a loving and perfect God, and he never makes mistakes. So ease up on yourself. Then in verse four, my conscience is clear, but that does not prove that I am really innocent. The Lord is the one who passes judgment on me. So Paul goes on to say that he has nothing to be guilty of and that it is only the Lord who's passing judgment on him. And don't we all, wouldn't we all be so much better if we would learn to really lean into this verse and remember that no matter what people say about you or accuse you of, you know the truth. And you know that it's only truly the Lord judging you that matters. So verse five, so should you not pass judgment on anyone before the right time comes? Final judgment must wait until the Lord comes. He will bring light to dark secrets and expose the hidden purposes of people's minds. And then all will receive from God the praise they deserve. So the importance of this verse is, first of all, stop judging each other. And here are the reasons. One, the only judgment that matters will be announced by the Lord at the final judgment. And two, we as people, we don't have sufficient information or the competence to judge one another and not even ourselves. And so Paul goes into the narrative that he will expose those who are operating under false pretenses and those operating with evil intent and malice. Therefore, as difficult as it is when you are under persecution from others, stand your ground, hold your head high, and allow our Lord to expose those false allegations. And now, of course, we each do have a responsibility to not allow anyone to falsely accuse us of a crime, nor are we to sit quietly when others are spreading lies that will harm or try to harm your Christian reputation or or of your family or your church or whatever they're trying to do. And I do have this experience with someone in my town was accusing me falsely and they had attorneys present. I did not because truly I didn't have anything to defend. I had done nothing wrong. But it's difficult. It's difficult to go through it, but God did prevail. And I had to really lean into him during that time. Verse six, for your sake, my friends, I have applied all of this to Apollos and me using the two of us as an example so that you may learn what the saying means. Observe the proper rules. None of you should be proud of one person and then despise another. So Paul continues to emphasize that the church must observe biblical standards and not the standards of the world. And likewise, he is teaching us as believers, we cannot talk out of both sides of our mouth. We can't criticize one believer while building up another who are both professing Christ. The only thing we can measure is what they are teaching and if that is in line with what God's word says. But we have to be really careful when we're talking about fellow believers. 
Verse 7, who made you superior to others, he says. Didn't God give you everything you have? Well then, how can you boast as if what you have were not a gift? And so when we are given something, how can we take credit for it? We can't. It's a gift. So Paul is condemning anyone who is conceited, boastful, or prideful. So many of our problems in this life have to do with pride. And isn't it interesting today how the world is elevating the word pride? And it's interesting how this group chooses to oppose God by staying puffed up and in your face with their word. Because all we have as Christians, we know, comes from God. We have absolutely no reason to boast. Verse 8, do you already have everything you need? Are you already rich? Have you become kings even though we are not? Well, I really wish you were kings so that we could be kings together with you. And so Paul is getting sarcastic here. He really is. And it appears that he has reached his tolerance level with the Corinthians. And he's basically saying, okay, you high and mighty folks, you don't need a thing. You have it all figured out. (laughs) And then he goes on to point that they obviously thought they had it all and therefore had no need for God. And Paul's aim here is to let them recognize that their arrogance is what was damaging to their walk with Christ and how they look to the outside world. Because if we're no different from the world, how can we show people what a Christian life is like? And trust me, it's hard when people are being ugly to you. You want to just punch back and be ugly too. But we've got to remember our Christian testimony. As believers, we've got to take heed of this very warning. When we are fat and happy, we have everything we need. It's so much easier to put God on the back burner. Most of us need a crisis of faith to bring us to the feet of Jesus. And Matthew 19, 23 tells us, Then Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I tell you, it is harder for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. So then in verse 9, For it seems to me that God has given the very last place to us apostles, like people condemned to die in public as a spectacle, for the whole world of angels and human beings. Now, Paul is comparing the life he is living as an apostle for Christ to their lofty, puffed up ways. And when he said the word spectacle, it comes from a word theatron, from which we get our word theater. So Paul is using words that they would have totally understood in those days, that they are being humiliated for being apostles for Christ, that he was reminding them, don't make this big spectacle of your life. Because in those days, the Colosseum events were very popular. So they got it. They Paul's telling them, you're making a big spectacle of your life. You're, it's very theatrical and dramatic. And here we are as apostles trying to live a humble life lived out for God. So it was a warning for them. Verse 10, for Christ's sake, we are fools, but you are wise in union with Christ. We are weak, you are strong. We are despised, but you are honored. And again, he's pointing out their lofty view of themselves because they regarded themselves even higher than Paul. 
who was the founder of their church. And basically, he's telling them, oh my gosh, you're being so arrogant in light of the believers who were actually out there doing the hard work for Christ, not for vanity, but for the true love of Christ. And that's when we all have to look at what are someone's motives. Always very telling. Verses 11 through 13, to this very moment, we go hungry and thirsty. We're clothed in rags, beaten, wander from place to place, wear ourselves out with hard work. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure. When we are insulted, we answer back with kind words. We are no more than this world's garbage, and we are the scum of the earth to this very moment. And so when you read that, you think, wow, okay, Paul's really in a bad place. But he isn't giving them a Paul pity party. He is pointing out, though, the reality of what he and his followers have had to endure up to this point. And here he discovers how boastful and depraved this church was behaving that he established. And he's quite disgusted. And today we have many churches that are very puffed up with pomp and circumstances massive buildings, concert-type worship productions, and unbelievable marketing programs. And inherently, there's nothing wrong with any of these things, but we do know that the danger here is of any pastor or church forgetting their place with God. He doesn't need any of those things. He only needs his people to love and honor him in all circumstances. So your truth bomb for this section is, Paul reminds us of the dangers of a puffed up and prideful demeanor. Your call to action, are there any areas of your life that you need to do a pride check with Christ? Second division, we are validated by the Father, verses 14 through 16. I write this to you not because I want to make you feel ashamed, but to instruct you as my own dear children. For even if you have 10,000 guardians in your Christian life, you have only one father. For in your life in union with Christ Jesus, I have become your father by bringing the good news to you. I beg you then to follow my example. So Paul is emphatically telling the Corinthians that his message is not to shame them, but to warn them of the dangers of a prideful spirit. He is reminding them how much he does care for them, like a father, just like our father cares for us. In verse 17, for this purpose, I am sending you Timothy, who is my own dear and faithful son in the Christian life. He will remind you of the principles which I follow in this new life in union with Christ, which I will teach in all of the churches everywhere. Paul knew he had a lot more work to do that he needed to leave them. He wanted them to know, however, he was leaving them in capable hands. He understood the importance of training up future leaders as none of us can do everything. So it's an important lesson for us all. To whom are you training up to carry on your mission, your ministry, or whatever role it is that you play in the kingdom? And additionally, your Christian legacy does not need to die when you do if you've helped train up the next generation. Verses 18 and 19. Some of you have become proud because you thought that I would not be coming to visit you. 
if the Lord is willing, I will come to you soon, and then I will find out for myself the power which these proud people have, and not just what they say. So Paul's calling them out with this first statement, because he had heard the Corinthians were saying, well, Paul, he is just too fearful to come and meet with us in person. And it's so far from the truth. Paul's telling this church some very harsh truths. And our pastors and Christians today need to take this Paul posture and not to be afraid to share truth with us. All of us need a swift kick in the pants every once in a while in order to get back on track and to get off of our high horse. Verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of words, but of power. So Paul's final admonishment in this chapter has to do with those who are overly impressed by mere words, or should I say by fancy delivery or a wowzer Sunday production. What matters is the power behind the words that can only be obtained by the Spirit because it's been given to us as a gift. Verse 21, Paul asked them this question, two questions. Which do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in spirit of love and gentleness? And so can't you hear Paul as he offers this church the choice of how they wish to deal with him? Paul is pointing out the silliness of their behavior. And it's much like asking a child, do you want to receive this spanking or do you want to behave? So the truth bomb in this section, Paul invalidates prideful behavior. And he reminds us that only Jesus validates our work for him. So your call to action is, what are ways that Christ validates you in your life today? And why is this important? To summarize this chapter, are we seeing many examples in our churches and church leaders today regarding becoming overly confident, prideful, and puffed up? We are indeed seeing example after example of the dangers of these behaviors. Churches and leaders are falling apart. Pride is the poison that is taking them down. And if you look at the causes for churches and leadership to fall, most all of the falls can be rooted in pride through adultery, embezzlement, and a haughty attitude. It's not a good thing. And so I wanted to just look at the opposite of pride we know is humility. But it's important to understand what humility is not, because a lot of people like to hide behind a fake veil of humility. So first of all, humility is not denying the gifts and graces God has given you. And it's important to know what you are gifted in. Realize you are called to help and serve others. Humility is not putting yourself down. It is being sober in your assessment, your personal assessment, and in your walking in the acknowledgement of God's grace. So it's using what God has given you for his glory. Secondly, humility is not a lack of direction, desire, or godly ambition. It's not wrong to want to be used by God to advance his kingdom. God wants you to do great things for him. And God is not glorified by a losing or defeatist mentality. Well, that's just not for me. I'm just not made for that. No, that's not what humility is. 
three, humility is not denying the work of God within you or in the church. You have a gift. All of us do. Our creator created you with a gift. Number four, humility is not the pursuit of mediocrity. We all should pursue excellence no matter what we've been given and what our calling is. Humility allows us to enjoy the gifts of God without trying to overly impress people. And then five, humility is not denying or backing away from the truth. You are called to be righteous and humble. You are responsible to speak truth in love without being self-righteously critical. So we're going to conclude this lesson with a verse from Isaiah 2.12. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all of the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. So I'll see you at our next podcast when we hit chapters five and six together. Have a great week. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com, click on podcast, and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode.